Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star. Feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or, or at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Today, we'll be discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure with my guest, Dion Kotteman of Gray Matter Matters. You can find links to material referenced in our discussion today on the North Star Radio Show page of my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Dion, Dion Kotteman is a partner at Gray Matter Matters, a firm that specializes in executive advisory services. In his role at Gray Matter Matters, Dion has advised organizations such as the Dutch Railroads, the City of Amsterdam, the Dutch Royal Air Force, Deloitte, and CGI. He's authored several books, including The Project Saboteur, our topic of discussion today, Agile with a Smile, and on Leadership and Coaching, and lectures at two universities. Previously, Dion served as CIO for the Dutch central government and held senior director positions at several financial institutions. He holds a master's degree from Wharton School of Management in the U.S. and Nyan Road University in, in the Netherlands. Uh, Dion currently resides in The Hague, Netherlands, and may be reached at his website, Gray Matter Matters, I'll spell that, G-R-E-Y-M-A-T-T-E-R-M-A-T-T-E-R-S dot N-L, or by email at Dion, that's D-I-O-N, at DionKotteman.com, that's uh, D-I-O-N-K-O-T-T-E-M-A-N.com. Uh, we'll repeat that later during the show. Welcome to the show, Dion. Thank you, Bill. So is there any background you wanted to add that I might have missed today? No, I think it was a very complete introduction and happy to be here and honored with the invitation to join your show, Bill. So that sounds very good. Uh, thank you. Um, so, so first, I, I want to start out with probably the obvious question that maybe a lot of listeners might have is what led you down the path to, uh, to looking at Project Sabotage? Well, it actually was my own experience. I was a uh, project manager in a large national bank here in the Netherlands, the National Bank. And I found out that we came up with software that was not appreciated at first time. So then people said, well, this is not exactly what we meant. There might be something different at stake as well. So there might be a, a change of laws or something. So we took it back. I sent it to India. That's where the developers were. And it a, a new launch of the software. And again, they said, there's something missing. There might be a legal issue here and there. And when they did this for the third time, I started to question things. And I thought, what's, what's going on? Am I, are they pulling my leg? So that's when I started thinking that they might have a different interest in the um, finishing up with the software. And I started thinking what was behind that. And uh, after a while, I discovered that it actually was the different interest that they had that they were not uh, supporting the project, but they were actually doing a sabotage in order to avoid the results of the, uh, the project. So that's how the thought came to my mind that there is always something behind what you see and what you get. Yeah, and I think as we go through the show today, a lot of people might be thinking back to projects they worked on and saying, I wonder if maybe that's what happened on, on that one, because we don't always know. Now, now uh, 
that did that lead you down the path to to putting out the book, uh, the Project Saboteur? Yeah, it did because the um, the book is written in sort of a handbook how to. Uh, uh, professionally sabotage a project but of course the thought is that once you know how this process works how you know the itinerary is how you know the uh, the, the the people work then you can prevent uh, sabotage being executed in your project so the idea was not only to uh, get more sight on what sabotage is but also try to prevent it and we might in the course of this show come to some measures that you can take in order to prevent being sabotaged and your project being destroyed that's excellent. So first, uh, just to cover a few basics, uh, I would like to make sure we're all, all on the same page. Uh, how do you uh, define or, or explain project sabotage to somebody? Well, I usually call this a phenomena of deliberately undermining projects. And deliberately would be that it requires an active attitude in order to change the project in a direction that suits your needs, your interests better. Mm -hmm. So there is, of course, always resistance to change, but resistance to change is rather different from sabotage. Resistance is a passive something. People say, I don't like the change and I will not move a foot as long as I, I'm not interested. But if you talk about sabotage, the people actively take action in order to change the itinerary of a project so that it suits their own needs in a better way. So that's, I think, one of the, the main differences between sabotage and resistance to change. Is there a fine line that somebody might cross uh, from, from resistance to sabotage? That could be. It could be that someone starts off with saying, well, I'm not very interested in the outcome of the project. But if he then uh, discovers that the outcome of the project is not in his interest, is destroying, for instance, his position, is destroying the, uh, the status he has, all these things, then he might be interested in taking a more active role in order to prevent the results being not in line with his thinking. And, and how common is, uh, is, is project sabotage on projects, did you think? Well, my thinking, and I think that's, the, um, that's one of the basic things we can discuss today, is that it is usually quite hidden, but it's there. That means that people don't like to uh, acknowledge that sabotage is there or that they actually execute sabotage themselves, but it doesn't mean it isn't there. So my thinking is that it is all over the place in less or in a uh, far more uh, um, uh, uh, extended degree, but it's there. It's there very, very much. And that is simply because there is always a human element into projects, and we tend to focus on, let's say, the hard controls, which is finance, resourcing, planning, things like that. And we tend to pay little attention to what we usually call the soft controls, which is more about attitude, about uh, the, the behavior that people have, their interests. And my thinking is that these soft controls are at least just as important as the hard controls. So my idea is that you, in order to be a better uh, project manager, better project professional, you should try to join those things together to see if you could combine the soft controls with the hard controls and don't forget the soft controls, even if they look ugly, because they often look ugly. That's the point why they're hidden. Ah, excellent. Uh, so what, what might be some of the outcomes we might see of a sabotage project? Well, it could be that, for instance, a let, let's take an example. Someone is a director of a department, and the department is changing in the sense that it will be joined with another department, and he might lose his position. Well, usually what happens is that these people are asked to participate in the project group to change that, 
But people forget to think that if they execute the project, they lose their position. So it could be that someone is then working to get his own position downgraded, which is not a very very good attitude. So then uh, people are not likely to work along with the project goal, and they will start to uh, undermine the project. And that could be subtle or not very subtle. A subtle way could be simply to change reporting, to change figures, and to make things look different than they are. And it could be a less subtle in terms of um, trying to change uh, the position of people and trying to ask people to leave the show. So uh, a few episodes back, I interviewed Jim Johnson, a Stanish group on failed, challenged, and successful projects. And uh, one of the uh, nagging statistics over the last 25 years is that about 30% of our projects are successful, uh, but a lot of them come in late, uh, uh, over budget. And, and as you describe, some fa- many, a number fail outright. But uh, you described uh, under-delivering. In other words, they delivered something, but it wasn't really usable according to the uh, requirements. So are those some of the things you see in uh, Project Sabotage, a lot of those different aspects? Yeah, I think so. The, the, the number that uh, Jim comes up with, the standards group, is, is astonishing because if only 30% succeeds straight away and there is some percentage that is being challenged, then that is an, an astonishing number. And, um, well, I without much exaggeration, maybe a little bit of exaggeration, you could say that some of this 70% could be avoided by having more focus on the on the sabotage, mm-hmm. on the human element. We all talk about the, um, uh, the, 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 the human aspect. Um, so if we could, let, let's say, if we would be very modest and we could change from 30% successful to 40%, imagine what money we would save over the world in terms of project management costs. So if you could only slightly tweak this percentage, let's say upgrade it with 10% already, that would be a huge benefit. And I I would say that at least 10% is possible because at least 10% of these projects are a victim of project being sabotaged. Wow. So uh, some of my uh, technical guests over the last uh, few months have talked about uh, some number in the annual spend on software development in the $3 trillion, which is astounding. Uh, it doesn't take very long to start to figure out uh, uh, that, that there's some return on, on uh, you know, scoping out, finding out whether, whether or not you've got sabotage and addressing it or preventing it. Um, you gave us one example uh, that was a, a software development effort of sabotage. You run into this uh, other types of projects, sabotage on other projects? Oh, yes, I think there is a, a lot of examples. Uh, there is an organizational change where people don't like to see the change. I've seen, for instance, back offices in, in, in financial institutions being joined together. And each of these back offices had a director. And the board said, okay, let's join the back offices together for reason of saving money, which is quite logical. And those directors were exactly the victim of this change. And there was this example where these well, were four directors of a, a back office, of four individual back offices, and they agreed uh, amongst themselves that it would make this project to fail. And as a result, the, the board had a lot of efforts of getting the machine going. It didn't work. And in the end, they had to stop the project. And those four project, those four um, uh, back office directors, they, they were saved. So they succeeded very well in sabotaging the project um, by simply focusing on 
all sorts of um well you could say excuses like we don't have the resources we don't have the the money available oh the money has just gone oh the specialist that we wanted is just gone on holiday things like that so they they came up with all sorts of uh, phony reasons for not executing the project properly wow so that <laughs> That does sound like a, a, a an incredible challenge. So uh, it sounds like a lot of this is a um, uh, there's a lot of personnel issues involved in a, in a lot of this, and I suspect we'll get into uh, more of that as we go. Have you seen Project Sabotage um, uh, differ at all, or is it similar across different industries or geographies? Well, there are, of course, uh, differences in industries. Uh, you could say, for instance, if you uh, look at the characteristics, that the bigger an organization is, the more likely that sabotage is not being discovered and therefore is there. So size is an issue. Mm. Another issue is hierarchy and bureaucracy. Suppose your organization has a high hierarchy and it's very bureaucratic, then it's more likely that people are not being discovered if they execute their, their sabotage. Um, now, of course, there's another interesting difference between, let's say, governmental institutions and commercial institutions. Um, you could say that the governmental institutions have, of course, more bureaucracy and therefore have a higher uh, risk of being victim of sabotage. And the commercial uh, in the commercial company could be less vulnerable for uh, for sabotage and a very different, uh, a very different element could be the financial industry sometimes these banks are so bureaucratic they, they are mm. as bureaucratic as governments could hardly be and therefore are very vulnerable to um to to sabotage so i think it, it does happen across industries and there are some characteristics for industries that make them more or less vulnerable to, to sabotage and size bureaucracy and hierarchy are absolutely elements that make them um, vulnerable so, so what are some of the types of sabotage uh, that, that you've seen out there? And, and some are probably harder to find than others, right? More discreet. Yeah, that's true. You And they are sometimes more effective or less effective. Mm -hmm. um, it could range from completely stopping a project to sabotaging a project in such a way that it slightly, slightly changes uh, the direction and that suits your purposes better. And a very, very nice example that we discovered recently was uh, environmentalists. Uh, they, they went, suppose there is a railroad coming through their, their very loved environment, then they might sabotage the whole project in such a way that the railroad is not exactly through the, um, the environment, but is simply uh, passing by. So then they don't destroy the project, but they change it a bit in order to suit their needs better. And that's possible. It does bring up an interesting um, point that that I'm I, I've been sitting here thinking. Well, uh, sabotage seems like it's a um, internally generated, but there could be sabotage from the outside in. Is that fair? Yeah, that's possible. You, you are thinking of um, uh, the greater interest of um, like environmentalists or things like that. Okay, okay, um, and uh, um, we'll, we'll get into more of the uh, the, the examples. But um, there's, there's a passive aggressiveness I've seen on certain projects. You know, people, as you said, resistant to change. They don't want their jobs to change. They've been doing this for 20 plus years. They like what they do. If 
you know, either these new systems go in or these new changes go in, something's going to happen to upset their world. It won't be the same like it was, right? So um, th there, there's probably a lot of uh, what, what we might call passive-aggressive approaches to, right, to sabotage. You, you see those, not showing up to meetings, not responding to emails. You see some of those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly if this is part of a pattern, that's, that's interesting. If someone doesn't show up for once, that's not a big problem. But if there is a pattern that he is not showing up in the right moment after weeks and weeks and weeks, mm. then of course you would have a, um, well, someone who is deliberately undermining your project simply because there is this pattern that returns his uh, non-appearance in, um, in meetings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, we had a, a situation on one project where we, we re, were relying on a business group to uh, help us with the data integrity reviews and, and, and uh, cleansing. And, and, you know, they never, never, they'd show up to meetings usually, but they wouldn't respond. Um, so I think that's, that's probably, you know, there's, there's probably as many forms and you've probably seen so many. Uh, we could probably talk about lots of different examples. Uh, I, I want to pick this up on the other side of the break. Uh, you, We've got our first break coming up here. You're listening to The North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure with my guest, Dion Kotteman. So we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs, and you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. That's wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. We're discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure with my guest, Dion Kotteman. Uh, so 
uh, I guess we led up to this question here then. Uh, what I'm, my question is about the art of sabotage. Uh, there's, there's many ways to do this, uh, obviously. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you've seen many. Uh, so are there, uh, you know, less noticeable, more noticeable, you know, how do we, how do we try to pin this down and, and, and spot it? How do we know, right? Yeah. Well, I first, think the first uh, reaction would be that um, the sabotage is usually not to be noticed. It is something that is hidden. Mm -hmm. um, and that is in contrast with people who don't like a project and, and openly say, I don't like this project because I have a certain reason for that. But what happens with sabotage is that it is hidden. People have a secret interest and they don't want this to be known. So they hide their actions deliberately. And this is sometimes done in a very sophisticated way. Um, I would say that that depends on what position one has in the organization. Um, suppose you would be the project manager, then it depends very much on what your position is in the project, if you would like to support it or not. Suppose that you are from an external firm and you'd like to have the project to be longer and longer and longer because then it uh, pushes your turnover, then you could easily sabotage the results and make the project last longer. Suppose you were just the subject of an organization that's being um, joined with another one and you might lose your, uh, your employment, uh, then that could cause uh, you to try to change the project by changing, for instance, reporting, that the figures are changed and they're not as successful as you think. Um, I've seen, for instance, auditing going this way, that people try to audit a project and nevertheless found out that there was a reason for not executing the project simply because the numbers were not leading to a success. So the, the, the problem behind this all is that people hide this because it's not the sunny side of their character. Um, and that, of course, is, well, there's, 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 there is a, a, a book that's called the, um, uh, the History of Ugliness. And that, that is funny because usually we focus on beauty because if you want to show something, usually you compare this to beauty. Now, my idea is that success in project is the beauty, but failure in project is the ugliness. And we tend to focus on the beauty rather than on the ugliness. And that's one of the reasons I think why the failure in projects is hidden, although it would be very useful to get this more in the spotlight. Yeah, you bring up a great point. I'm glad you, glad you raised that because the, the, um, uh, a senior person could discover uh, the, the we, hide, we hide these, these failed projects for all kinds of reasons. They, they, they get rid of the whole layer of management. They ban the use of the terminology that it was on the project. So they, they sort of bury the history on it. Uh, so we see that happening quite a bit, but in some cases, there may be somebody who's fully aware that there was sabotage, the, the project uh, failed or, or was highly unsuccessful, and uh, they almost become, uh, and, and they don't expose it, right, But for, for the reasons you're saying, and they almost become co-conspirators in the sabotage in, in some of those cases. Is that, is that a fair point? Yeah, I think so. That's a fair point, because then they, they hide the, the reason behind it. And I think we should make a distinction between, let's say, regular project management and sabotage. In regular project management, there is this movement now going on about uh, fail fast. And that is a sort of a learning thing that if you are uh, stimulated to show failure, then you allow the organization to take measures in order to prevent failing again, briefly explained. So that is something that is regular project management, and that is 
the proper way of working because if there is a failure and the culture is that you want to expose that in order to learn, that's fine. The other side is that if you don't want to show off, you don't want to show this at all, then we're talking about uh, project sabotage, which is more about uh, dealing with your own interests rather than the, the common interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what, what motivates the, uh, the project saboteur? What would be, uh, yeah, you talked a little bit about this, but I want to get into this a little bit more. Yeah, well, there could be several reasons. Um, let, let's start with a simple one, which is employment. Suppose that your your job is being challenged or at danger, then you might feel motivated to change. Another thing which is often forgotten is simply a thing called status. People sometimes have the status in terms of the bigger car, the better, par- the better parking spot, et cetera, things like that. And it does motivate people to sabotage simply because they don't want to lose their, um, their status. Another simple thing could be money. Uh, suppose that your promotion is being uh, at stake, then, well, clear point. Another thing could be a bonus. Um, I've seen accountants, and we, we have seen uh, quite a few international accounting firms who slightly tweak the results of a company in order to uh, justify or to, to guarantee the bonuses of the senior partners. And I, I was quite amazed by that because I thought an accounting company was, um, was based on, let's say, solidity, trustworthiness, things like that. And even if they twist the annual report in order to, uh, which is nothing but sabotage, mm-hmm. and if they twist the report in order to secure the bonuses for the uh, senior management, that's that's quite astonishing. That, that is astonishing. I used to work for one of the big four, so I I I, I know the uh, the emphasis that they used to put on. Um, I was not an accountant, but I know the emphasis they used to put on the accountants and auditors. Of, uh, of, of making sure they were on the up and up. Um, so one of the motivations I saw, and I, uh, this was a, uh, a European insurance company where they had decided to migrate off the mainframe, right or wrong. Uh, the, um, they decided that somebody in the upper ranks decided that they were going to undermine the project. And I think they were overly obvious. They removed, for periods of time, they kept switching project managers, which is a bad sign. And then they, uh, one of the things they did at one point, they had no project manager. And I think that they were a bit, probably a little bit too obvious because when uh, they, they owed 40 uh, million euro to the uh, integrator that was working on the effort, and w- weren't paying them because they said, well, it's not successful, so we're going to cancel it. And this actually went into a, uh, a, a three judge um, tribunal. And uh, I was engaged as one of the experts, but one of the one of the experts was a leading figure in the um, Pro- uh, Project Management Institute, the PMI in Europe. And uh, she demonstrated to them, to the judges, that if you don't have a project manager, you keep switching them, it is a sure path to project failure because nobody's running the show. And, and um, I think in that case, they were probably a little bit too, uh, uh, too, too transparent in their efforts, right? So you've probably seen multiple levels of transparency occur, right? Uh, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. And um, I think that after discussing uh, the issue today, probably people will see tomorrow or today in their work environment, they will see this as a, a, it's just a matter of paying attention and seeing what the background of people is. And then you'll probably discover a lot of people not supporting your project, not for technical reasons, but for the uh, reasons of their own interest. 
So uh, you've talked about senior management people potentially losing their prestige uh, or maybe some of their, their power base uh, or maybe even their position. So we do see it at that level. Um, you, have you seen project managers then um, undermine their own projects? Is, is that something you've run into? Yeah. Well, th- funny enough, that does happen because it th- depends where, they, where the project manager comes from. Suppose the project manager is an internal person mm-hmm. from the, the organization itself. And his and then the question is what happens after him finishing up the project? Then there is two possibilities. One is he is being promoted because of finally uh, successfully finishing up the project. The other thing, what does happen, funny enough, is that he, in the end, when the project is finished, he's being uh, sacked simply because his project was to try to merge with another company or merge with another organization part. And people tend to forget, which I think is an interesting thing, people tend to forget that once you start a project, you should very much verify if the, pro- if the people doing the project, like the project manager, has an interest with reaching the goal or simply has no interest in reaching the goal at all, which is the asking the turkey what they'd like to eat for Christmas. <laughs> so, so what are some of the signs you look for when you're looking at a project for sabotage? Well, I think the first element is a pattern. As we just discussed about the, um, uh, the, the people not showing up at crucial meetings, if this happens once, that's possible. But what happens is that the first time they're not there because they were ill, the second time they had a different appointment, the third time they were on a training, and the fourth time they were on holiday. And then it looks very much like a pattern where people try to walk away from their responsibility which is what happens quite a lot because then, um, of course, it depends on the sort of organization, but people don't take the responsibility, then you can't ask them to take responsibility and take action because, well, I wasn't there. So the first answer to your question is pattern. You have to have a pattern. The second thing, which is pretty easy, we are all very familiar with uh, stakeholder analysis. Now, usually the stakeholder analysis has a bit of a techie uh, approach. We look if the uh, HR is there, if the director is there, and all representatives are re- represented in uh, in the project, like in the steering committee, etc. But what will be very useful is to see if each of these participants uh, have an interest in finishing up the project. And suppose in your stakeholder analysis, preferably done before you start the project, you discover that one or two members of the steering committee don't have an interest in the project, well, don't ask them to join in. Mm. Just ask someone who is absolutely motivated to get the project done. Um, so that is, I think, um, well, you, it's always better to prevent these things than to repair them. Right. Um, so can, can you spot uh, how early in a project is it possible? A, not everybody uses the words project here, but I just want everybody to know we're, 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 we're using that term very broadly. But how early in some sort of an initiative uh, might you be able to spot sabotage? Yeah, well, the um, I think the first thing is that if you start off with a project, then the uh, the stakeholder analysis could help you to get the right starting point, and ideally there would be no sabotage at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, this is this is not done. People start with a project and then start to discover a project sabotage. And um, or they start to discover project failure, better said, because it right. could be that sabotage is behind that. That could be pretty early in the project. Um, I think one of the, the biggest problems that projects have mm-hmm. is that they have a difficulty in stopping, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there is this saying of these Dakota Indians, and they say the best advice when you're riding a dead horse is to, to dismount. And this is not what we do. We try to push the horse, even if it's dead, and try to go along because we might have an interest for success or we simply don't like a project to stop or to fail. So people push beyond the limit to get the project going. And it would be very useful to have a sort of a pit stop and say, okay, what are the circumstances and are we still on track or should we change some of the circumstances to get on track? So I think it's it's very worthwhile to investigate if there is sabotage in the beginning in order not to spend too much money if the project goes long. And I think we all know how these things go, with, with certainly with IT. Uh, the, the best thing, the worst thing you could hear is, we're nearly there, then you know you're not there at all. You might have spent 80% of your budget having 20% results. Right, right, right. Yeah, those, those are great questions. I, I wanted to ask about um, somebody spotting sabotage uh, and, or suspecting sabotage uh, it, it, you know, and I'm using, I'm using the term whistleblower here, uh, but, but how do you uh, communicate that to people in the best way? Yeah, that, I think that's a very important point, uh, Bill, because what, um, there is a danger in that. What we see with, uh, let's say, traditional whistleblowers is they are not very popular in organizations. Mm. They usually are being put aside. They're not being believed. Which is from from one side of the of the of, of, from from view is understandable because they disturb the regular operation of an organization. They are criticizing the organization, and people with let's say love or interest in organization they don't like that. Mm-hmm. So the first reaction to whistleblowing is that people are not believed, but they are put aside. Uh, although they might be very right, but they are probably the only one who sees it and then they are simply not believed. So it is very, very important to be careful if you want to blow the the whistle in in case of sabotage. Um, The first thing that I would advise is to see if there is in your environment um, uh, understanding for you notifying a sabotage process. Are other people seeing it as well? And can you reach senior management with just a question if they see this as well and what could be done about it? The the, the most dangerous thing to do is to step up and say, I have discovered a, a project saboteur and then you have only one victim, which is the, the whistleblower. So what I usually tell people in this case is be very careful, mm-hmm. see if you can get support in high management, see if you can substantiate your case by getting um, proof, identifying the problems that you have, and then eventually, if possible, then reach out for the the saboteur and see if you could do something about it. But it should be well prepared in order not to have this, um, the effect only reaching you, the whistleblower, and, well, we probably all know examples of whistleblowers in organizations with the best of interests that this is impossible, but still they lost their job. And that is, of course, a, a pity. Yeah, I was on uh, a, as a third-party um, uh, audit reviewer of a major program with lots of projects. And I, I, I brought in, in a June timeframe, I brought to the senior business executive uh, concerns that the one of her senior people who was in charge of the 
uh, a lot of the funding um, was undermining the portfolio executive who was responsible for delivering this whole thing. Uh, when I came back and brought that to both her and then the, the top guy, um, I think it was in January, uh, it got much worse. And uh, I always felt, and, and she thanked me for it, that going in early and raising some concerns subtly uh, it can be useful. Have you seen that? Yeah, I think that is, that is probably very useful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think people like surprises. Uh, like, why didn't you say something to me six months ago? Right. And, and the other thing that we had there was a, a short, very short document, a report that, uh, you know, outlined, you know, what what the saboteur was proposing versus what the, um, you know, what everybody else wanted to do. And I think that was really helpful. Um, and, and just uh, quickly before we take a break, and we can pick this up on the other side, but uh, you see some projects more more open to sabotage or susceptible um, in your oh, yes. experience. Yeah, depends very much on the uh, the culture that you have in organizations. Um, it could be that the culture is pretty closed, then you're pretty vulnerable. But if the culture is an open one of sharing results and sharing failures with each other, then you might have less risk for um, for sabotage. So I think culture, behavior, mm -hmm. uh, being not too bureaucratic and not being too big, that probably helps a lot in discussing it and finding a solution for um, this human element. Excellent. Um, so we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You're listening to The North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure with my guest, Dion Kotteman, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Looking to enhance your business architecture skills? Become a certified business architect or align your team to a common approach. Check out Business Architecture Associates. Industry pioneers and co-founders Wendy Keene and William Ulrich have trained thousands of business professionals, turning beginners into practitioners and practitioners into experts. BAA offers in-house and public business architecture training for individuals and organizations with more than 20 courses to choose from, including the Business Architecture Bootcamp, popular mini course series and custom workshops baa can create a learning path for you and your organization why learn from the rest when you can learn from the best check out baa's course offerings at businessarchitectureassociates.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network 
You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMULRIC at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMULRIC at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. We're discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure with my guest, Dion Kotteman. A quick reminder is we've got some links to some different things, including his book, uh, the one we were talking about today, The Project Saboteur, on uh, the radio show page of my website, technicalstrategygroup.com. So what I want to uh, help listeners out with now, Dion, is the uh, the kinds of safeguards that you can put in place for a project. So what are some of the examples of safeguards that one might put in place to protect the project from sabotage? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Maybe just one, one add to your publicity about the book. I wrote it together with Jeroen uh, Gietema, which is the, the co-author, and I think it's just fair to to mention him uh, as well. Appreciate that. Okay. When it comes to the uh, the safeguards, then I think the first thing we should do is that the um, the usual reasons for project failure, they are only superficial. Mm. Um, if you see, for instance, audit reports, that we probably all know very well, then you see obvious things like lack of project uh, resources, lack of money, uh, lack of communication, the, the governance wasn't right. So these things are pretty obvious, or actually are too obvious. Now, the best question is, what is behind these reasons? What is behind not being, uh, not, not having resources enough, not having enough mm-hmm. uh, resources in terms of money or people or whatever? So it could be that there is a reason behind that. And the reason behind that could be that not everybody supports the, um, uh, the interest. And that's where we touch upon the, the core issue. There is always an interest for people in working in a project. And if we want to solve a project sabotage, then that's where the key is. Suppose that you, in the example that we discussed about a project manager whose uh, job is at stake once he finishes the project. There's, of course, a very nasty position to be in. He's not in a hurry at all. He might be happy with delay because then his job is there for another month, which is fine. He can look for a different job. So if you have discovered that, then the best thing is to start to discuss and see if you have an alternative for him in terms of his position or in terms of him being uh, having an extra training or education or having a new a new job opportunity, then you take away his reason for not supporting the, the project. I, I had a very uh, interesting example of that in a, um, in a, uh, a very big uh, city where they were changing the, the copper network for fiber. And they asked the, the copper guys to do that. And that immediately shows the, the, the contrast, the dilemma that they had, because if they would support the, uh, the fiber to be very quickly in place, then the copper work would stop. And silly enough, there was a, a big uh, Japanese company who was contracted for doing the, um, the maintenance of the fiber network. So they simply lost their job. So there, was, there were technical problems all over the time. Mm. So I, I advised to see if the, the attitude of these copper guys could be changed by promising them a traumatic big training schedule after the project being finished and therefore extending their possibilities on the, on the market which 
they should enter after finishing off the project. And that worked very, very nicely. They went to California, had a perfect training, and then returned happily and finished the project off very quickly. So the, the key is, could you have a look at the interests of people and see if you could find something that stimulates them of finishing the project rather than trying to close it down? I, I do really like the idea of, of what, what I guess I generally call resource reallocation is that there are, there are things for everybody to do. There's no shortage of, of good work. And, you know, that we, we, you know, and, and there are people certainly who have been doing things for a long time who are uncomfortable with change. Uh, but I really liked your approach that, you know, we're going to, we're going to provide you with some new skills, some new, new ideas, some new training uh, to ensure that, um, you know, you have an, continue with an important position in, in our, uh, an important role. So I, I really like that. Um, in terms of management approach or method, uh, you talked about fail early, um, which is one, one thinking, uh, which I do want to talk about a little bit more, but um, uh, is there an approach or method that, uh, or, or an overall philosophy that management can take on project sabotage that, that is useful? Um, well, that, that is a, um, that's more difficult. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is that we have seen more agile methods coming up now. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you close the, the circle, mm -hmm. the sooner you get results from a project coming in. So if there is a, um, a short um, time span between starting a part of the project, having a sprint, doing it again, then you very quickly discover how the project is going rather than having the project going on for months and months and then afterwards seeing that there is a sabotage going on. So it could be that in uh, more dynamic environments, this there is less risk. And I think that brings us to a, 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 a another nice idea, which is that if you want to deal with sabotage, one of the things is to see if your organization has the characteristics that stimulate sabotage or not. Mm. Um, there, is, there are many theories on this. One is that you check if your organization has a track record in terms of project success or not. Mm. See if your, your staff has a track record in positive sense. See if there is a culture of being open and not seeing this. So you could define all sorts of preventive methods to see if you could come to a whole different way of doing project management. Because the classical way is to focus on, if you would look at classical waterfall methods, it would be as much as having a plan, a long-term plan, having resourcing, having uh, the um, uh, milestones, things like that. There's nothing wrong with that, but there is a always a long perspective, long-term perspective rather than short-term. And short-term is, I think, far better in these cases. So I have seen um, uh, projects uh, continuously develop and, and incrementally deliver work, but it was it, it was going down the wrong pathway. In other words, uh, the, the the business executive I talked about, I said, you know, you need to know if I if I start out in New York City, I need to know if I want to end up in Los Angeles or Seattle, uh, just to use a U.S. Uh, example. And uh, which is cross country. And, and, you know, you can make a lot of great incremental progress towards Seattle, but if your goal is to get to Los Angeles, uh, that might not be the best approach, right? So it, there's, a, there's an illusion of progress uh, I, because each incremental uh, point is delivered and, you know, people are, you know, again, incrementally happy. 
but at the end of the day, you're ending up in the wrong place. So uh, there, there is also the having that that vision or that long-term uh, uh, perspective on where you want to end up at the end. Is that fair? That is fair. And that very much relates to the sort of leadership that we have, because the, the, the basic thing is that the environment is now rapidly changing. And the response to the only response to that is that the, the internal side of organization changes just as rapidly in order to keep up the pace. So if that is happening, then you're all right. And you uh, probably have less risk of being sabotaged rather than when you have a long-term long-term perspective and you are more, let's say, stable. The stable has a positive sound, but too stable would mean less flexible. And that's the downside of it. I, I have had lots of conversations with people about creating a culture of, uh, of, of, um, of having you know, people, whether they're on the project or, or you know, beneficiaries of the project or engaging with the project, uh, being able to uh, sp either speak their mind or share their thoughts, to, to have that more open communication culture. Uh, have you seen that as one of the ways? So in other words, if, if somebody sees that something's happening, they can say it with less less fear of, of, of being punished. Is that, is that something you, you would encourage? Absolutely. And it not only would it help in terms of product sabotage, but also in regular uh, organizational success. Because if you, uh, there is a, um, a Dutch-based company, Ahold, which is very well known, I think, in the States. And they have now the failure of the week. And instead of having the employee of the month, where they have a big sign saying, uh, John was the best employee, sold the most products this month, they now have failure of the week. And they identify this to a person and say, John had this failure this week. We all learned from it. And that stimulates a thought that if people come up with failure, let's say with mistakes in the organization, then you can improve. So if the culture changes, that helps a lot. And that, that refers to what we said about ugliness and beauty. Selling a lot of products, of course, is the beauty. And showing off with what you did wrong is not the beauty, it's the ugliness. Now, it helps a lot if the organization is open enough to share failure in order to get improvement. But that depends very much upon the, the culture. And it's not very likely because people usually fear that the bonus might go wrong or the promotion is at stake. And that, that's another interesting thing. If you look at the project reports that, that project managers produce, it's usually positive. If you look at the uh, the report, it says we're nearly there. We only have a, few, a slightly we're slightly behind, but we will we will uh, take up for, from here, and we will be successful in the end. Um, but then we know there is something wrong, and probably if you've, you've seen a lot of the report, then you probably recognize that being nearly there is not the um, not the best not the best uh, story. So is there somebody, uh, and I want to ask this first, but the worker's role, if, if I'm on a project, is, is there a role for the worker who's on a project in terms of safeguarding and sabotage? Yeah, I think so, because they, the, um, the project consists of everybody with his own responsibility. And if the uh, attitude is a closed one, if the organization is not open for improvement or open for failure, then it starts with the, uh, the, the worker who is not transferring the uh, the information to the uh, to the top um, and another basic idea of course is that the best organizations are organizations where the top and the the worker work together by thinking and doing is 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 joined and and would would it make sense to have somebody on a project that whose specific responsibility or one of their responsibilities is to look out for a project sabotage? <laughs> 
That's an interesting question because I, uh, the um, um, the reason why we've called it sabotage is that it attracts attention, but it is not a popular term. Right. Um, I have spoken to organisations where they said we don't have sabotage at all because they consider this to be far too negative. So it would right. be difficult to have someone with an official title called the the let's say the um, uh, the anti sabotage or. Uh, the counter-sabotage person or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather focus then on having more open-minded uh, a culture in order to prevent projects being um, uh, destroyed. I, I really like that that messaging there in terms of the open-minded culture and, the, and, and that um, as opposed to taking the negative approach. So what would you then, what, what do you normally tell executives or, or even program managers, project managers, in terms of sabotage when you when you consult and work with them? Well, the first thing is that they have to be convinced that it does exist because there is a lot of denying going on. This ha- doesn't happen with us. We're all nice. We're all mm-hmm. God-fear- nice, God-fearing people. This doesn't happen in our organization. <laughs> so the first step is that they should acknowledge that it does happen simply because it's part of human nature. If you ask a person to give up his job, he won't say, oh, yes, lovely. He will say, is that necessary? What are the alternatives? And if you don't ask for the alternatives and don't prevent, uh, don't don't uh, provide alternatives, then he will probably be against your project. So the first thing that I try to convince them about is that it is there. And the second thing, of course, is that it's not something bad to know that it's there, but then you can take adequate measures like showing what like finding a solution for the interest and trying to get the project going so it would be a two-step thing not to be naive because it does happen not to exaggerate on the other hand because there's no saboteur behind every tree that is that will be exaggerating things but it should be something right in between that people acknowledge that it's there and that you can do absolutely something uh, to prevent it, to make your project more successful, and as, and as we said in the beginning, if we would only could, if we only could raise the um, the success rate from thirty to thirty five or forty percent, that would be a massive improvement for the world. Excellent, uh, great advice today for everybody who either is sponsoring, funding, owning, or on a project. Uh, so my guest today has been Dion Kotterman, CEO of Gray Matter Matters. We've been discussing politics, culture, and sabotage, the roadmap to program failure. You can contact Dion at Dion at DionKotterman.com. You can find links to material related to the discussion today, including a link to Gray Matter Matters on the North Star Radio Show page of my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Thank you, Dion, for sharing your tremendous insights today. Appreciate that. It's my pleasure, Bill. Okay. Uh, My guest next week will be Milan Gunther. Uh, We will be discussing enterprise design, the missing link in strategy execution. You've been listening to the North Star. I'm your host, William Alwick. You can contact me by email on LinkedIn or at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Thanks for joining me today, and I'll talk to you all next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star. Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then. 